There are so many religions in the world. How are they similar and how are they different? We need to know. The culturally correct view is to blend them all together as equally relevant and legitimate. But is that true? Prior to becoming a follower of Jesus, your host, Mike Shreve, was an avid seeker of truth, exploring many paths to spirituality. One of his passions now is to help bridge the gap so that others can discover the true light, which gives light to everyone entering the world. Now, here's Mike Shreve revealing the true light. I love leaping over cultural and religious barriers that often prevent easily intimidated people from expressing the love of God to some of those who need it the most. I have had many, many meaningful conversations with sincere Muslims, Hindus, Sikhs, New Agers, and advocates of other religions as I've traveled around the world. Usually, those conversations start by finding common ground. That's very important. Numerous times, I have discovered the often-spoken maxim that is so true, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. One good way of showing that you genuinely care is to genuinely show interest in another person's belief system. That doesn't mean you agree with it or compromise your own belief system, but it shows respect to another human being. And respect begets respect. Make it evident to those persons that you have actually studied their faith, if that be the case, by referencing key beliefs that they hold dear and then intentionally find points of agreement whenever possible. And let me emphasize, this does not foster compromise on your part, but it does build a bridge of communication. It helps to break down divisive walls and open up entry points into meaningful exchanges of ideas. Whenever I sit next to a Muslim on a plane flight or meet one taking care of a convenience store or a motel, I always try to bring up at least some of the 10 points I'm going to list in this episode. It has always, always seemed to produce fruit. Why? Because love wins. That's why the motto of my ministry is Ephesians 4.15, speaking the truth in love. Now here, very succinctly, are the 10 common beliefs that can be found between the Muslim faith and Christianity. And I'm not going to address them in depth. I'm going to cover some major points, but you can explore it out in greater detail. First, let me go through the list and then I'll elaborate in greater detail. Number one, Both Muslims and Christians believe that there is one God exclusively. Number two, both Muslims and Christians believe that God is separate from human beings and from the physical universe. Number three, both Muslims and Christians believe in submission. Number four, both Muslims and Christians believe Jesus was born of a virgin. Number five, 
Both Muslims and Christians believe Jesus lived a sinless life. Number six, both Muslims and Christians believe God has no beginning point and does not reproduce offspring like human beings do. Number seven, both Muslims and Christians believe in a resurrection. Number eight, both believe in a judgment day. Number nine, both believe in hell. And number 10, most importantly, both believe in heaven or paradise. Now let's go into each one of those 10 points in a little bit more detail. Number one, both Muslims and Christians believe in one God. This is, of course, directly contrasted to Hinduism that believes in 330 million gods and goddesses, which is the traditional number. So more than anything, that brings Muslims and Christians together. However, Muslims believe in the absolute oneness of God. And one of the worst sins you can commit is called shirk, which is attributing divinity to anything or anyone. Now, that, of course, is contrasted to Christianity that believes in the plurality of the Godhead. There is one God, and yet that one God is expressed as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and these three are one. That's why Chrislam, a mixture of Christianity and Islam, is not possible, because by virtue of us believing that Jesus was God manifested in the flesh, we've committed the worst of sins. And so there's no way that the two faiths can be united in real closeness, but we are close in the belief that there is just one God, and that excludes all other gods that are worshipped in this world. And so that's a good conversational bridge. We can talk about the correct interpretation of that one God. I think it's interesting to bring up that in the Quran, the plural pronoun we is used at times when God is speaking. And the explanation of that among Muslims is that is something the English call the royal we. It's spoken by one person but a monarch may use that, like in the statement, we have decided on a certain law, when it's really only one person speaking. It's a, a term of respect or glorification, glory given to that individual by using a plural pronoun, and that that was why Allah at times is quoted as using the pronoun we just like uh, the God of the Bible. Let us make man in our image, plural pronouns. But in the case of the biblical view of God, it is the triunity of the Godhead. All right, so that is a meeting point. We both believe in one God. Number two, both Islam and Christianity profess a belief that God is separate from the universe and separate from human beings. The difference between the two, the very marked difference, is that in Islam, God cannot dwell within the heart of an individual. While in Christianity, we invite God to come into our hearts. 
We both believe that God exists separate from all human beings because of our sin status and separate from the physical universe. That's in stark contrast to Hinduism or some aspects of Hinduism, Advaita Vedanta Hinduism that teaches that the universe and God are one, that the universe is a manifestation of God and everything has a divine essence. Not so in Islam, not so in Christianity. And that's why worship is possible. If God exists apart from me, I can worship him. If I am God, worship is ridiculous. It's absurd. It can't work because you wouldn't pray to God if you are God. All right. Uh, Number three, submission is something that both Islam and Christianity believe in. In fact, the word Islam means submission. And Muslims believe the last communication that he received from God was that he would name the religion Islam, which means submission. But in the case of the Muslim faith, it means submission, for instance, to the five pillars of Islam, which are required in order for a Muslim to be saved. Now, in Christianity, we are submitted to God because, well, the Bible says in James chapter 4, verse 6 and 7, that God gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit yourselves to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So we can come together on that point, that it is absolutely necessary to surrender to the will of God in order to be right with God. And the word submission simply means you are underneath God's mission. And God's mission in this world is the reacquiring of this world, ridding it of evil influence, and causing righteousness to prevail once again. Submission is very important, and that is a point of agreement that we can find in a conversation with a Muslim. Number four, both Islam and Christianity believe that Jesus was born of a virgin. That may surprise some of you, but that is celebrated in a number of verses in the Quran. For instance, and a chapter is called a surat, and a verse is called ayat. And so in chapter 3, verse 47, in the Quran, it states concerning Mary that no man touched her. And in the 66th chapter, 12th verse of the Quran, It states that Jesus was conceived when the Spirit of God breathed upon Mary, whose body was chaste. In other words, she was a virgin. What a tremendous point to come together about. Because I often bring up to Muslims when I'm in conversation with them that that very fact indicates Jesus was superior to every human being who has ever existed. I may not actually name Muhammad, but I am implying Muhammad in that statement, that all religious leaders have been born of the natural union of a man and a woman, except the one called Isa in Arabic or Jesus in English. In Luke chapter 1, verses 27 through 35, 
we find where the angel Gabriel comes to Mary and says, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when Mary saw Gabriel, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. That is a fantastic connecting point. Number five. Both Muslims and Christians believe that Jesus lived a sinless life. In the 19th surah, or chapter of the Quran, the 19th ayat, there is a statement where the angel says, I am only a messenger of thy Lord that I may bestow on thee a faultless son, which is a reference to the son of Mary, being without sin. Well, the Bible's in agreement with that. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says that God made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. How amazing is that? That he became sin for us so that we could become the righteousness of God. Now, that statement cannot be found in Islam. And that's because there's no concept of sin being washed away by the blood that Jesus shed. Number six, both Muslims and Christians believe this statement is going to be interpreted completely different, but they both believe this statement that God is not begotten, neither does he beget. Now that statement is actually on the Dome of the Rock shrine in Jerusalem on Temple Mount. But what it really references is refuting the idea that Jesus was the only begotten Son of God, and that God did not beget a son in Mary. And when I'm talking with a Muslim, I very quickly say, you know that statement you Muslims make, uh, God is not begotten, neither does he beget? And they'll say, well, yes, of course. And I say, I agree with that. And usually surprise is expressed. You're a Christian and you believe that statement that God is not begotten, neither does it beget. And my response, and here's the conversation builder, is that yes, I agree that number one, God is not begotten in the sense that he does not have a beginning point. And then I'll mention that the Quran states that the Spirit of God breathed into Mary's womb and created a body for Isa, for Jesus, to dwell in. And the word beget means to create or to bring forth. So it's really semantics. It's saying the same thing, that God created a body for the Son of God, or I could say it was begotten. But God is not begotten in the sense of having a beginning point, a starting point, because Jesus existed before he came into the womb of Mary. 
in Micah chapter 5, verse 2, it talks about Bethlehem, but thou Bethlehem Ephrata, though you be the least among the thousands of Judah, out of thee shall come forth unto me he who is to be ruler in Israel, even him whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. He's always been the image of the invisible God. He is the Alpha and the Omega, but he goes beyond the beginning and beyond the end. He has infinite existence. So God is not begotten in that sense. Neither does he beget in this sense. It was not a sexual thing, an implantation through sexual reproduction. Now, Mormons believe that God has an actual wife and has actual sexual relationships with that wife and brings forth children through a union with a literal wife. Now, I believe that's absolutely wrong, totally wrong. However, Jesus was the only begotten Son of God. The Holy Spirit overshadowed her and planted within her womb that that would become the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. But it was not through the normal process of sexual reproduction. God is not begotten, neither does he beget. Yes, I agree with that. Then number seven, both Muslims and Christians believe in a resurrection, a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked, where the bodies of those who have lived in this world will come out of the grave, come out of the dust, come out of that state of death, and then, number eight, both Muslims and Christians believe in a judgment day where there will be a determination by God whether or not a person is wicked or righteous, whether or not they qualify for hell or for heaven, which are the next two beliefs. Both Muslims and Christians believe normally in a hell, a place of eternal separation from God, and both believe in heaven, which is called paradise. Now, there are many elements about hell and heaven that differ in the two worldviews. Paradise would be described much differently in the Bible, but at least we do have an agreement on the ultimate destination of the soul, being eternal union with God or eternally being cut off from God. So those are the 10 main common beliefs, common to a certain degree. Certainly details of those beliefs may differ in different areas, but this is a way of coming together with a Muslim, having meaningful conversations with those that follow the Islamic faith, and then lead them to the most important difference between the two religions, where Islam teaches that Jesus did not die on the cross. They say Judas did, not Jesus. But we believe that he actually died on the cross and assumed the sin debt of the entire human race. He tasted death for every man and paid the price of judgment that should have fallen on us. We should have died for our sins and iniquities, but instead he died in our place. And if you can sway a Muslim to believe that Jesus was unique and Jesus was 
more profoundly different than any other human being. He was without sin. He was born of a virgin. There's something attractive about him that sets him apart from every other man, including every other religious leader who's ever existed. Then that could spark a desire to explore a little deeper and find out that Jesus meant what he said in John 14, 6, when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. So I've given you some conversation starters, and you can explore it out in greater depth. I hope it helps you, because I believe God loves Muslims. I believe God loves Hindus. I believe God loves Sikhs. I believe God loves people of every religious persuasion. And I always appreciate people who do have a belief that includes God. And there are many interpretations of God. Just because we say, I worship God or I love God, doesn't mean we are in a relationship with God. And that's the huge difference. Jesus told the woman at the well, that she was a worshiper. He said, you worship, you know not what. We know what we worship, Jesus said, for salvation is of the Jews. In other words, he was saying we have a correct understanding of the nature and name of God. But he did not deny the fact that the woman at the well was a worshiper. That Samaritan woman most likely loved God. I don't deny that there are millions of Muslims and Hindus and people of various faiths who love God. And they use that term generically. They will often say, oh, of course, I love God. Yes, I believe in God. It's a generic kind of term for the creator of the universe. But the nature they assign to that creator may differ drastically from one worldview to the next. But belief in an ultimate being, an absolute being, the creator of the universe, is a meeting point where we can enter meaningful conversation. Well, I hope this episode of Revealing the True Light has been a blessing to you. And if you have questions, come to our website, go to the contact page, shoot me an email. I will do my best to answer any question you send. I try to personally respond to all the emails that come into thetruelight.net. So thank you for listening, and I pray it's been a blessing. I look forward to our next time together. Thank you for joining Mike Shreve today on Revealing the True Light, and thank you for opening your mind and your heart to the truth. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, cpnshows.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss new episodes. You can explore the beliefs of many world religions more deeply by ordering Mike Shree's book titled In Search of the True Light. We also invite you to visit our website, thetruelight.net, and sign up to be part of our global internet family.